Hey, welcome to the Rain and Morale podcast. So do you ever feel like screaming out in the office, on Zoom or outside the school gates, for the love of God, come on, really? Then if this is you and you're looking for an honest, fun and frank podcast on life and business, then sit back and listen to me, Rain and Morale. I'll be bringing great people on the show to talk, share and debate their life experiences and business challenges. Keeping the show unpolished, but in a fun and unique British style with sarcasm, tenacity, and maybe a few swear words or tears. This podcast keeps it real, honest, raw, and removes the bullshit in the only way I know how, through authenticity and getting shit done. Think of it less like the Housewives of New York or TOWIE with the lipo and drama, and more like the house lives of the real world. I hope you'll take something away to be better informed, laugh, smile, or maybe even finally get in the confidence to shout, come on, really. So enjoy. Hi, Helena. Welcome to the Rain Royal podcast. How are you? Hi, Ren. I'm really happy. And uh, yeah, it's a good day today. And I'm excited to, to chat with you. Um, yeah, I'm excited. There's so much going on and so much to do. So yeah, we're, we're just getting started. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I know you, you do a lot of interesting things in sustainability. So I'm excited for this talk with you. Oh, amazing. Well, for the listeners, I'm delighted to welcome Helena Vassman Erickson. I do hope I pronounced that right. Um, and I'm going to actually read out your bio, which is a bit because I was trying to remember it all this morning, but there's so much great stuff. So I'm just going to read it out as a proper introduction. But Helena started her career um, with a passion around some of the world's kind of most precious global issues in climate and started working at the Clinton Foundation and Ashoka. And I think a lot of that then drove your excitement around some of the technological opportunities that were um, in the world. And so you started working with Techstars and Big Data for Humans. Today, you are on a mission to accelerate the transition um, of all things impact and sustainability through the lens of investing. So you currently work for top tier investments um, and that focuses on global ecosystems and impact leaders. Um, You're also an angel investor. So I'm sure we'll touch on that later and the importance of female angel investors. You've got some great creds, Forbes 30 under 30 in 2017, one of the 50 most inspirational women in technology in 2017 in Europe, and elected founder of the Futures in 2016. So drop the mic, huge kudos to you and welcome to the show. (laughs) Thanks, Ren. I'm excited to talk with you because uh, like I said, you know, you know, you've been doing this work for a really long time. And so last time we spoke, which was about six months ago, I was quite impressed by your insights. So I think, you know, I I see you as an expert. um, And so I'm excited to, you know, I see this as a conversation for me also to to gain more, to understand more where where these investments need to go. Oh, and it's amazing. And we're going to cover some great topics today around climate climate anxiety, the importance of funding female investors um, and how we can actually get involved in that. So let's dive straight into the topic. So if we first address, um, uh, and we all know the stats about empowering female investors and how that can unlock billions, um, I'd love to hear more about specifically, I know you produced an article recently. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. I'm I'm sure this is uh, something you're familiar with, but what's interesting is, um, you know, 
there's a lot of studies about female investors and how there's actually a lot of um, a lot of obstacles in terms of becoming a female investors and mostly there's a study that came out where they surveyed um, 200,000 uh, female investors and they asked you know why were they not investing more or like what was holding them back to becoming an investor to start with um, and most of them said that it was a, a matter of confidence and because they had you know grown up with um, being told that you know they didn't know how to manage money they didn't know what they were doing so they should just stay away from money and I think that's something that a lot of us women grow up with I mean I can definitely relate uh, myself to that um, and so what's interesting is you know we don't necessarily view female naturally as being good investors but when you look at the data, so there have been several studies from Warwick University, UBS, and, and many others that show that actually when females do invest, they actually outperform uh, male investors. So for me, that was a big, uh, you know, it was a surprise. I, I really didn't know that was the case. So it's interesting to, to see the data. Mm. Yeah. So that's the first thing. But are you an, you're an investor yourself, right, Rona? I have invested, yes. Yeah. But it um, was, for me, it was... It was really scary for all those reasons. It was, I've done it three times now. And even now it's that mind talk and that, oh, it's not going to happen or it won't work or um, what right do I have? And, you know, all of these, all of these topics that come into your, come into your head and understanding equity and VCs and angels, it's EIS and SEIS. It's just mind blowing. Exactly. And I think, yeah, what you're saying is exactly what I was feeling when I started as well. A few years ago, I felt like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. Should I be doing this? Uh, while um, there's also a lot of studies that show that men, even if they don't know everything, they're much more confident and just going for it. You know, so like imposter syndrome is much bigger in, in women than it is um, in men. Um, and so that's the first thing that I thought was quite uh, surprising. And then What's also interesting is that when you look at uh, where female actually put their money, so where women invest, uh, so women show that we're naturally inclined to think about sustainability, ESG. It's just naturally, we're naturally wired that way, most, uh, most women. Um, and so what's interesting to see is that actually, um, if we empower more women to become investors, automatically it will unlock uh, finance into ESG because as I said, women invest better and they're naturally inclined to ESG topics. So there's just such a simple um, realization, right? It's like it's so simple. You just empower more women to become investors. Then automatically uh, more capital will flow into sustainability and ESG. So I think that's just such a simple and huge opportunity. No, ab absolutely. And I think it's something like less than 2% of all investment funds go to female founders. And it, and I think one of the stats I read um, was sort of it, women are 85% more um, successful than the male counterparts because of the way they view things, the longevity of the way they view the impact um, uh, or any investment for, for that matter. So, but I guess there was, a, there was often topics around the trickle down of the people who were giving the money were very male orientated. So subconsciously, they weren't always aware of, you know, the passions or the underlying, they couldn't connect with, with it subconsciously. So felt it wasn't worth investing in. So I know the lady who invented Canva, I mean, oh my God, <laughs> what an incredible story. Uh, and, and, you know, she had a hundred VCs say no. Right. Actually, I'm not familiar with that story. 
I'll, I'll have to I'll, I'll send it to you but she's she she got re- refused by a hundred um investors and in the end it was actually a female investor who invested in her and now she's um literally one of the top 10 most successful business launches and the the the, the value of the business is now in in, in the billions so yeah just just incredibly and I, sometimes it's hard to hear those stories because you think yeah we hear about the big wins we don't hear about the 99 no's and I think resilience uh, which I do believe women have but I think that resilience gets knocked and knocked and knocked the more no's you get mm-hmm. absolutely and um I think that's a big you know it's a big difference between somebody who's successful and who isn't is is really consistency and resilience it really boils down to that and um and you can see it everywhere I mean you know even um I see it you know you know myself you, you read oh Forbes under 30, da, da, da. These are all actually initiatives that I tried to do and failed, <laughs> but I'm still here. <laughs> so these are all, you know, these, these, these awards I received are on companies and initiatives that I was driving forward that yeah. actually I got awarded for, but they didn't end up by working in the sense that they weren't financial successes. However, I'm still here. And I'm still trying. So I find it also funny when, you know, oh, you've done this, you've done that. Actually, I, I tried to do a lot of things. <laughs> uh, not, a, not all of them succeeded. But, you know, when you're, you're as yourself, you know, when you're working for something bigger, it doesn't matter. You're like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just try again. You know, I'll put my ego aside and I'll just get started again and try a different way. Yeah, and I think part of that is we need to, sh- we need to share more about you know the failures and because when we're at the bottom and when we fail we learn so much I mean I I a couple of years ago was trying to raise funds for a kind of a, a, a regenerative agriculture marketplace and those lowest moments and those moments of no's and it just taught me so many things whereas if I'd have just had it handed on my plate I wouldn't have the in-depth knowledge, the risk assessments, the long-term view analysis that um, now really I could put myself in front of any investor. There's not a question or objection that I couldn't nail you on. So I I think we need that. We need to share those. um, You know, LinkedIn's a great community, but equally we we don't see very many oh, I'm having, I've really screwed up here or this, this investment hasn't worked because we just naturally want to show our more positive side. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and that's actually, it, it actually drives into a topic that I also wanted to discuss that has helped me in this journey of, you know, working on projects where you're sometimes hitting a wall and feeling, oh, what am I going to do and feeling discouraged? Um, so I have this uh, silent, med- silent retreat practice called uh, Vipassana, which is basically uh, 10 days of silence. It's a, it's a non-profit that organizes that. Uh, it's it's uh, originally a Buddhist practice. Um, and basically for 10 days, you are um, in silence. So you're not allowed to speak. And what happens across these 10 days is that the, the voices in your head become much louder because there's nothing else around you. And basically what you learn is to actually observe instead of getting wrapped up into whatever emotion you're in. So, you know, if you're raising for a regenerative uh, agriculture project and you know it's not working the way you want to you might get you know emotional and feel down and so on and so what the practice helps you is actually to actually just watch these emotions and not get sucked into it so the difference is that you will still get upset or worried 
or stressed over something as we all do. Um, but instead of feeling like, oh, my life is over, what am I going to do? You know, instead of listening to that voice that is telling you that, oh my God, nothing is working. You can actually just take a bit of a step back and uh, look at it and be like, okay, this is, uh, you know, Rona being a little bit down because obviously things are not going her way right now, but you know, things are going to change. It's just, it's just an instant, you know, and you have kind of that distance to, to your emotions Uh, which for me have been extremely uh, helpful uh, as an investor to you right. know, one of the main um, mistakes that investors make is uh, to, for example, when you invest in a uh, stock exchange is that you, you sell too fast or you sell too early because you're emotional, right? You react to right. what the market might be saying. Um, and so, and so this practice has helped me to be less emotional, which has really helped both investing and just in general in terms of having more resilience in projects. Um, so I wanted to share that as a practice, as a, an investor practice is a bit unusual, but very helpful. Yeah, no, I'm really intrigued by that because somebody who, somebody who's not known for being quiet, um, I, how, how often do you do that? Do you do it like once a year or just when you feel you need that top up? So, um, the retreat is 10 days uh, but like everything it's a practice so if you stop practicing it you kind of lose that muscle um and so yes yeah, so you have to you have to practice every day oh wow so do you dedicate a certain amount of time to silence exactly every day even and if you know sometimes it's um five minutes sometimes it's supposed to be one hour um but sometimes it's five minutes sometimes it's 10 minutes sometimes it's 20 minutes Um, but there's still a moment to just be like, okay, let's just take a step back and not get so caught up into whatever it might be, whether it's, you know, worries over your children or worries over the planet, are we going to blow it up or, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> so yeah, there's times to be like, okay, let's just take a step back. I'm fine. This is going to pass. And yeah. it's extremely helpful uh, as an impact investor to have that practice so that you don't get too, you know, caught up into whatever daily anxiety or worry might be. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine, actually, it's got a lot of benefits just holistically around life and challenges and, you know, all that, you know, whether it's taking time out in nature, you know, going for a walk in, in, in the woods or whatever. So I, good God, honestly, if I, if I said to anybody who knows me, I'm going to do a 10 day silence retreat, I think they would literally fall off a cliff um but I'm, I'm yeah I'm really intrigued by that so okay well can you can you think of maybe one or two things that fundamentally shifted for you after the first time you did it that kind of in, changed how you invested what were the one or two things that really you noticed a difference um the first thing is so as I mentioned I'm a very emotional person So I could get very excited about something. So if I would see an investment that I find like, you know, my heart gets excited. I'm like, oh my God, there's this incredible opportunity to do something in water in India. And I could be, you know, first check in and I could help this entrepreneur and I could get super excited and be like, okay, boom, I'll put my money down. Um, without having really thoughtfully, you know, looked at the due diligence and, and be more reflective. And so one good way in which it has helped me is to, you know, feel my excitement, notice, great, excitement is important, right? It is important yeah. to have passion and be excited about the, the project you invested in. But 
let's take, let's take a step back. Let's breathe. Let's look at the numbers. Let's sit with it for a little bit. Is this really, do the numbers make sense? Is the person really worth um, your trust? Um, so I think that's, so that's an example of, you know. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. I, yeah, I remember I get, got a great piece of advice from a guy who works doing quite a lot in um, purpose. Great guy, Alan River, and he's based in Australia. And um, one of the things I always do is I always walk very quickly. I talk quickly. I walk quickly. I do everything quickly. And he said, next time you go for a walk in the woods, slow it right down to the point where you're barely walking. And I felt a bit of a prat the first time I did it. But actually, it was so, it really was so empowering just to slow down and embrace everything around you, the sights, the smells, the sounds, all of that. So, yeah, I can imagine the silence has a very similar impact. Um, awesome. So, listen, in terms of um, one of the topics that I wanted to, to, to cover with you is, is you, you, you'd said that actually you only need to mobilise 3.5% of the population to actually create a social movement. Can you explain more about what you mean by that and, and how do we do it? Absolutely. So this is actually something that I learned quite recently. I was uh, in New York City for Climate Week just uh, a few weeks ago, and there was a presentation by the Climate Emergency Fund. I know you're familiar with them. Yes. Um, so for those who are not, uh, they are the ones that you, I'm sure you've read in the news in the Guardian or New York Times that there's some activists that basically glue themselves to artwork. So, you know, to they're in the National Gallery, they're like, they're, they're very disruptive. So a lot of people dislike them. I personally adore them. <laughs> um, and basically what they do, they're just, you know, being, they're, they're doing activism. They're trying to bring attention on the, the big, important climate topics and decisions. And they're doing that by being very disruptive, which is by gluing themselves to very important artwork in very important museums. Um, and so, as I said, a lot of people view them as disruptive, but they're actually working for the Climate Emergency Fund. They're all volunteers. Right. And, I mean, the Climate Emergency Fund is one of the organizations that, that you know, uh, is uh, leading on this front. And, um, and what I did not know is... Um, is there's a, there's a Harvard study that came out a few years ago um, that basically says that they've looked at all the social movements across history. So women's rights movements, civil rights yeah. movements. And what they've um, noticed is that in each of these movements, you need at least 3.5% of the population to be in dissent in order to create a tipping point in policy. Right. Um, and in the social movement in general. And so for me, that was quite interesting because if you think about it, 3.5% is actually quite a, a small number. Um, and so, so I'm a big, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, I really think activism is important. Yeah. To, to sh I think it's a very important part of the puzzle. It's not the only uh, solution, but you know, what we're doing, you know, uh, impact investing is another part of it, you know, building alternatives, funding yes. alternatives to the current system. But it's interesting to see that throughout history, the movements that have really shifted things usually engage at least 3.5% of the population. Um, so I find that... I wonder how far we... Yeah, I wonder how far we might be away from that. So if we take, you know, what are we, 
seven billion in in the world right now. So I wonder how far we are from that number, from everyone, from the extreme activism right through to people like you, to me, people working in this space. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but it'll be interesting to put a number on it. Exactly. But that that specific stat gave me a lot of hope um, and made me realize, actually, you know, we're not that far away. And um, and I think there's a lot that can be done in terms of if you think about actually, uh, I mean, this is not impact unless it's more donation, because if you fund activism, obviously, it's not an investment, it's a donation. Uh, but yeah. it actually has a huge ROI in terms of creating change, because if you think about it, all the people that that are um, activists, they're volunteers, right? Um, so if you think about the ROI of your donation, it's pretty, pretty massive because there's it's been no cost at all. Um, and these people are extraordinarily brave and, uh, and it's a great way to get a lot of attention on a very important topic in a way that people can't ignore them, right? Because, you know, museums have to be, you know, shots and exhibitions have to be paused because somebody, I mean, it's, it is pretty, pretty aggressive, but I think it's powerful. And I think we've reached a point where we need to be um, as aggressive and as disruptive as these guys are being. So I'm personally a big uh, proponent of that. Yeah, we, we have quite a lot here in the UK that are doing, you know, across um, outside, you know, anywhere that potentially fracking or oil contracts or super gluing themselves across roads. And it is a, a hot debate here, but I think... What do you think? De- yeah, depending on what media, you know, from those that will say... Well, they're stopping people getting to work and the ambulance and the fire services and all these sorts of things. But 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 like you say, I think um, strategic activism for the right cause that has the right powerful message behind it, I think is critical. Mm-hmm. As long as it's nonviolent, um, I think it. No, absolutely. And I'm safe to say there may be a few scuffles here when it's tried to be broken up, but but generally it is. But, you know, I think even here in, in, in the UK, they're trying to ban groups of people protesting on anything, you know, and it's just getting really, really silly. And lots of people, um, you know, are kind of really reacting to, to that. But you, you, you mentioned a word earlier, um, um, that the stat drove you to have hope. Now, one of the things that I often struggle with is kind of climate anxiety. There's so much to do, so many amazing things to support. How do you, how do you, how do you get yourself out of being paralysed, or how can you help the listeners deal with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we're in times where it's very overwhelming. If you look at the news what's happening in the world, the war in Ukraine, like the energy crisis. I mean, there's just so much happening. That it's very easy to fall into climate anxiety and I fall into that myself as well. And sometimes uh, I'm sure you've experienced the same. I can feel very paralyzed and like, is, is, is it even worth doing this work? You know, is it just, should I just be going to the pub next door and get drunk instead of, instead of focusing on all this important work? Like, is it, is it really going to make a difference? You know what I mean? Am I yeah. really using my energy in the right way? Is it going to make any difference at all? Is it really going to move the needle? Um, and I think what gets me out of that is um, a few things. So first, uh, I can't reason myself out of that right away because when you're in, a, in, a, yeah. in an anxiety, you know, you're not really thinking straight anymore. So the first thing is getting in your body. So I need to either shake or dance or walk or run, or it has to be something physical to kind of snap out of, you know, the, right. 
anxiety, the, the anxious cycle. So that's the first thing is like getting in my body. Um, so any of these dance, shake, move, walk, run. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just looking at history and, and, and realizing that throughout history, it's always been at the end of the day, a small group of very committed people that have really created change. Uh, so if you look at Hadma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, all, all the people that have made a difference, um, at the end of the day, you know, it was a small group of very committed people who worked tirelessly towards focusing on one issue and were yeah. able to create a shift. So I think that's the more rational um, explanation. And, and so these, these two things, so I would say, you know, getting in my body, getting in movement is the first thing. And the second one is, is realizing, just looking at history and seeing how we've been able to go through yeah. extraordinary social change and how it has worked in the past. So there's no reason why it shouldn't work today. Yeah, and I guess sometimes, I guess for me, I try and, I, I try and summarize it when my head's in that space by going, I believe and feel that I'm on the right side of where we need to go. Mm-hmm. And actually, if anything that I do be that with my Prince's Trust mentoring with my you know Education Africa whatever it might be if someone can say to me what you're doing is creating harm anger upset violence then I would walk away in a second that's how I try and deal with it I try and say I feel I'm on the right I know I'm on the right side even if even doing these podcasts LinkedIn posts my children seeing you know the changes that we're making in the house to to be as um regenerative and sustainable as as we can that's the place I want to be exactly um but it's but it's that balance of see often I say I'm not an activist um because I'm not trying to work with people to to ram it down their throats and put the fear of God into them but it's more about there's so much amazing hope and stories and technology and people out there that it's not as scary as you think it is. And imagine a wonderful world where, you know, 40% of our GDP relies on nature. What are you going to do when that's gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's such exciting work. Um, just being a part of it, hearing what's, what can be done, what is actually already being done. And I think also, because the media focuses a lot on, on what's not going well, uh, we also get a bit of a, I mean, I know things are not going well, but you know, I don't think a lot of people know the actual solutions and how they can be scaled. And you know, all the things you and me, we're, we see it every day because we're really in the field. But I don't yeah. think everybody knows about this stuff. Otherwise, you know, they would be doing more about it. So yeah, it's extremely exciting work once you see the solutions and how they can be scaled yeah. and, and the role that you, me, and everybody else can play. It's like, I find it incredible. And like you said, at least we're, I mean, you don't know if it's going to work, but at least you're, you feel like you're, you're on the right side of the, the fence that you're contributing, you're helping and, uh, and, and, and enjoying. For me, it's a big part of so enjoying the ride and every day, you know, having yeah. fun every day. For me, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of that. Because if I'm not having a bit of fun every day, what, what's the point of all? <laughs> I'm doing it. One, one, 100%. <laughs> I'm very well known for tenacity and, uh, and humour um stroke sarcasm um but yeah i think you know there's there's a lot of things that we will do and we'll get wrong and i know recently i was looking at the the neon project in in saudi and there was a, quite a bit of bad press about 
some of the technology. And I thought, well, actually, if you take a step back, if everything that they do, just 70%, 50% of it works at that scale, how empowering will that be for the world in terms of investment and confidence? Now, I'm putting aside human rights and other areas that, that Saudi may or do have, but actually from a sustainability point, the technology that they're going to deliver at scale could be groundbreaking. So I think we've got to give people permission to put their heads above the parapet. And one of my real frustrating points in, in sometimes in LinkedIn and, and other social medias is someone tries to do something and they get slagged off and it's, well, there's a you should have done this. Should, well, hold on a minute. You know, it might not work. And we've got to encourage people to take that leap um, and, and share with the communities and the industries, do you know what, we tried it, but it didn't work. But this is what we've learned and this is what we'll do different. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sharing transparently, uh, you know, all the roadblocks, all the issues is so helpful. I think it's a big part of reporting on, on all of that, just being really honest in terms of what's worked, yeah. what hasn't worked and not having any shame around that and just being really straightforward. Um, that's a huge part because like you're saying, it's very easy to, to be critical and it is very important to be critical, especially today that, you know, everybody can, can self-proclaim to be sustainable uh, or, you know, working in ESG as we know. Um, yeah, the smarter we become, the more transparent, the more educated, the more we try things and fail, the more we'll know, okay, this works, this doesn't work. Um, and like you said, being open about these topics is, is so important. Um, yeah, and I agree, it's, it's a shame to, to shut people down when they're trying something that is obviously imperfect, but at least it's a step in the right direction. We are going to need hybrid solutions and we are going to need transitional periods. So I think, yeah, let's try and support that, that where we can. Um, I wanted to move on a little bit in terms of if the people out there listening, specifically female um, listeners, but, but anyone really who's thinking about becoming an angel investor. So can you just define for people, what's the difference between angel, seed, VCs, just very top level and, and, and then integration of how top tier impact works? What, what could people do and where could they go? Absolutely. So I think, uh, I don't know about you, but before I became a, an angel investor only two and a half years ago. And before that, I always imagined that to become an investor, you needed to have millions of dollars in the bank and that it was completely, you know, out of my league. And, you know, I needed to first make a lot of money and, and then eventually maybe one day, uh, maybe in my late sixties, I'll have enough money to, to become a, an investor. And then what I did realize is actually, so to be an angel investor, which is basically um, an angel, an investor as an individual, when you're not associated with any organization, as opposed to be a venture capital investor or an institutional investor where you're linked with another organization. So an angel, you're just investing on your own. So it's super simple. <laughs> um, basically, you only need um, five, 10K to get started when you go in very, very early at seed, seed level. Um, and so that's something that I didn't know. Um, and when I found out that, you know, with a check that, yes, it is something, 10K is not nothing, but it's not a million, um, I didn't realize that you can get started. You can start backing entrepreneurs. You can follow them and then you can, you know, make, make a bigger check later. 
if you can, uh, when they're later in their journey. But I think for me, it was a huge wake up call when I realized, oh, I can be an angel investor with as little as 10K. Um, so that was a big epiphany. And I think a lot of, not a lot of women know that. I mean, uh, yeah. I think men are obviously, you know, more used to speaking about finance and, and investments is just more part of the social norm and social habits, while us, not necessarily. And I think that's changing a lot. Um, so what I wanted to mention is that, yes, with only 10K, you can support an incredible female entrepreneur or an entrepreneur in general working on some super important um, issues and, uh, and be part of that journey. And you can, you know, follow their progress. Uh, you can support them. You can advise them. Um, and even if you don't know what you're doing in the beginning, that's fine because you're, you're going to learn and uh, you're going to get smarter as you go. And uh, I think it's just such an incredible way to create change, because if you look at. Um, so, as you know, you know, companies, once they're listed, once they're once they're public, uh, mm-hmm. capital is is much easier to get. Right. But when they're private, when they're still getting started, that's where there's the biggest risk. And that's really why your money can make the biggest difference. Um, and so I, I find that extremely empowering um, to be aware of that and, and to get started. That's how I got started. And I personally, I don't know about you, but I love being an angel investor. I think it's one of the most rewarding, exciting uh, ways to, to create impact. Yeah, and I think um, I've looked at it as well as, well, it's just an alternative to a pension. You know, we sit there every month putting money away. How about we look at it this way? And yeah, there's a lot of risk. And I think there's a mindset shift to, to be able to do it. But also, I think, you know, people can get involved in impact investing at a much smaller scale. You know, there's things called microloans. You know, you can support uh, a child or a lady in a smaller community in a developing country from as little as 10, 15 pounds. And that creates a business. And often you get the 10, 15 pounds back, but you've created, you know, an entire business for, for that individual and their family and community. So I'd love people to realise that even if they didn't go out and get hammered one weekend <laughs> and they, you know, went and spent, you know, 20 pounds on, you know, on a microloan, I think um, th- there's lots of ways to get involved in investing, like you say, just that awareness, it doesn't have to be a large amount of money. And I've never invested large amounts of money. They've always been very, very small um, on the view that I could afford it at that moment in time, but the payback could be way greater than any pension or any, you know, hope I'd have had of maybe even earning that in a, in a, in a year. So it's a risk I'm comfortable with, but yeah, there's lots of different ways I think people can get involved. And it's also um, a different feeling to be so clear on where your money is going and so involved um, in, in how it's invested and what, what your money is doing versus, you know, distantly investing in a pension fund, not really being so close to, to actually how the money is used. So it's a very different feeling as, a, as an investor. You know, if you just put, invest in a few stocks and you see what happens, that's great too. But it's a very different feeling than, you know, really following an entrepreneur, understanding what they're working on. It's like two, two different worlds. Yeah, and I guess it's only really been in the last five years that I've understood and transitioned my pensions because, yeah, you just go, oh, I put in four, they put in 10, whatever. And you don't, you don't think about it. You don't look at it. You don't, you know, we're not 
we're not educated in how to do that. And then when you realise you're invested in fossil fuels, tobacco and all these other things, you go, oh, what? I mean, obviously, I've I've moved mine and changed them now. Um, but yeah, I love that. I love the fact, that, like you say, to, to know where your money's going and build that bond with somebody is is really empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful. I really recommend everybody to, to just try it out because it's such a rewarding and exciting experience. Um, and it's actually pretty accessible. And most people don't know that. No, I know. Ed- education is key, isn't it? So, well, listen, I, um, I could talk more on this because anything around empowering i've got two daughters so anything around empowering women the planet um is is a huge passion of mine so helena thank you so much for your time i know you're in, you're normally based in singapore aren't you but you're in switzerland right now so thank you for joining me on the show it's been an absolute pleasure thank you and i really enjoyed it it was very uplifting and fun and uh yeah i'm excited to to keep doing this work and see um, how we can you know, do more of it and, and keep everybody excited and empowered to notice that they can do something about it. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you, Helena. So that's it. You've made it. The show's over. Thank you for being with us. I hope you've been able to take something away, maybe solve a problem or just know you're not alone. Here's hoping it made you smile with a few laughs along the way. Please feel free to find me on all social media channels and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just search the Road and Morale podcast. Have an awesome day and see you next time.